0: Tonight, our two-night special coverage on Long COVID kicks off with the stories of two New Yorkers profoundly impacted by the disease, including one man hospitalized for nearly half a year. We also hear from one of the leading doctors seeking to better understand Long COVID as Metro Focus starts right now.
1: This is Metro Focus with Rafael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wachenheim III, Philomen M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Ganz Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin.
0: Good evening and welcome to this special edition of Metro Focus. I'm Raphael P. Roman. For the next two nights, we'll be taking a close look at long COVID, the phenomenon which by at least one measure is experienced by an estimated one in five adults who have contracted COVID-19. Though every person's situation is unique, those suffering from long COVID tend to continue experiencing symptoms for months or even years after their initial infection is gone. And the symptoms can be wide-ranging. As of now, the CDC lists over 200 ailments that could be affiliated with long COVID. Tomorrow, we'll focus on what we're learning about the disease and what may be causing it to happen. But tonight, we'll be exploring the devastating impact that long COVID can have on people's lives as we hear directly from two New Yorkers who have been dramatically affected by it. And joining us now to help shed some light on the severity of long COVID are Kevin Devine, a long COVID survivor, Diana Barron, the founder of the COVID advocacy group, Survivor Corps, and a long COVID survivor herself, and Dr. Renu Kashal. The Senior Associate Dean for Clinical Research and Chair of Population Health Science at Wild Cornell Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. Welcome all. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So so, Doctor, before we hear from Kevin and Diana about their personal experiences with long with COVID and long COVID. I wonder if you could first explain to us just what long COVID is, give us that, the cliff note version of it, because tomorrow we're gonna get into the details of the disease to start off with.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, thank you for having me uh, today as well. Um, long COVID goes by many names. We call it long COVID. We call it, sometimes you will hear the phrase long haulers. In the scientific literature, we call it the post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2 infection. And what it refers to is clusters of signs and symptoms that start 30 days or more after the initial infection.
0: So that's it. So that's in a nutshell. That's what it is.
1: In that okay, it's a different in each patient.
0: Yeah, and, and we we'll, and we'll certainly get to that tomorrow for sure. Maybe later today as well. So Kevin, you know, I heard you talk about your story on the Drew Barrymore show, and I have to tell you, it's one of the most Fascinating, but but most moving stories of, of of the COVID experience that I have ever heard. Um, so please take us back uh, from the moment that you first tested positive, and and your whole experience with COVID since. So go ahead.
2: Okay, thank you for the uh, kind words and and reading, watching the story and, and 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 seeing it. It all started for me on March twentieth of twenty twenty. The week before I wasn't feeling good. I went to a doctor. He gave me antibiotics and everything. He said you should be okay. You should be okay. Gotta understand when this happened to me, it was still called corona. It wasn't even COVID yet. It was coronavirus. And I went to the hospital. I wasn't feeling good. Got swabbed. Um, doctor came in the room and said, Kevin, you're positive for for this for this virus, COVID. And I said, positive. And I was like, what is this What is this all about? To me, I thought it was just like a, a, an oversized flu. Like just a flu that was gonna knock you off your feet a day or two and you'd be fine. Well, they gave me all sorts of medications. They were trying all these different things. About three days into it, my uh, breathing, and the doctor will admit your breathing just starts taking a beat and you cannot breathe anymore. They had me on a small oxygen and they were increasing it, increasing it. Doctor comes in. Says to me, Kevin, you're dying. You're dying. You, you, you're, you're not going to make it. it. It was a Thursday. because I have to put you on a ventilator. I look at him. I'm not going to lie to any of you. I looked at the doctor and I says, I'm not going on any ventilator. Everybody going on a ventilator. I'm watching TV. They're dying. He goes, this is your only chance. He walks out of the room. Now, remember, folks, I have no family. I have nobody there to talk to. I'm by myself, I have a gown in the front of me, a gown on the back of me and slippy socks. That's it, no phone, no nothing. He walks out of the room and I had a nurse, Janine Adamu. I wanna make sure I get her name out there because this young lady saved my life. She sat at the edge of the bed and says to me, Kevin, you remind me of my father. My father was sitting in this room right now, I would make sure he'd go on that ventilator. Now here I am looking at this young girl, she probably could have been my daughter, And I look at her and I go, you're serious. She goes, very. And she walks out of the room. I ring the bell. I tell her, bring everybody back. Let's do this. And she says to me, are you sure? I go, I have no choice. I have no choice. Well, the next thing I know, I have nurses on the right of me, nurses on the left of me, doctors behind me. Everybody's putting all these things in my arms and everything in me. And there was another nurse there, Tina Marie. I want to get her name out there. I grab her hand. And now when I look back at it, I feel bad that I did it, but I do and I don't. And I'll tell you why and you'll understand. I grab her hand and I'm holding her hand tight. And you can feel her holding my hand tight. And I look the square in the eyes. I says, please don't let me die. Don't let me die. And she looked at me. She goes, you're not going to die. Great nurse. Because she's going to tell me what you want me to hear. I'm not going to tell you, you know, people that die left or right. Your chances are slim to none. That she's not going to tell me. And she looks me square in the eyes. She goes, you're not going to die, Kevin. You're going to make it. I, you know, you're going to make it. You're a strong guy. You're going to make it. And I told her, if I don't, please tell my family I love them. Because you got to remember, guys, this is the last person I'm seeing. And if I don't make it, this is it. So I never had that chance to say goodbye to my wife, my daughter, my son, my father. And, I, and I'm realizing that. And it, it's a hard place to be in life that that moment in time. You have nobody there for you. But that nurse is your only, your only sense of help. And she's holding my hand. And what I mean, like, I kind of feel bad. I put her on the spot. I didn't realize at the time how many people were dying on these poor nurses. And here I am holding her hand, clutching my hand, telling her, don't let me die. So you imagine what I did to her. I see it today. I didn't see it then. So I we spoke about it. And she says, oh, Kevin, you don't understand. You You made me, you gave me that sense of, like, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Fast forward. 48 days later, I woke up, not realizing it was 48 days later, not realizing what happened to me. I actually swear to God, you and Doc, you'll be like, no way. I thought it was the next day. I thought I woke up. I thought it was was Friday. (laughs) The girl looks at me. She goes, no, Kevin, it's May. May. Now, remember, I couldn't talk. I had everything in on me. I couldn't talk. So, you know, I'm sitting there saying, May. I'm going May of what year, you know, May of year, you know, 2020, 2021, where are we? You know, so she explains it to me. And that's when I realized um, how bad off I was, you know, how really bad off I was. And um, then there was the road to recovery, the bed sores. I was in a coma for 48 days. I had tremendously bad bed sores. Uh, learning how to walk, learning how to talk, learning to feed myself. Mm, I was so bad, I couldn't hold the fork. I I hope you guys can see it. My hand was shaking like this. Mm -hmm. I had to be spoon fed back to life. Lived on on, um, uh, a liquid diet for probably 30 to 40 days. Mm -hmm. So it was just liquids. Um, I lost 137 pounds lost everything lost everything but i was alive i was alive
0: and 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 let me ask you something be i I, I want you to touch on this while you were recuperating after those 40 plus days of a coma um i mean you had you had down moments talk about the nurse that you said gave you return gave you will and what she did or it was actually a doctor right
2: yes i found out later it was a doctor um, she came in the room one night and I was just crying. I'm not I'm proud to say I was crying. I hate to say because my friends are going to now give me a hard time, but I was just laying in that bed crying, wondering, will I ever walk again? You know, will I ever be who I am again? Will I, I wasn't out of the woods yet, neither. Am I going to still live? Like, was this just a tease? I woke up, I'm coming back to life and then boom, I get hit with this virus again or it kills me. So there was still, I was never out of the woods. I still had tubes in me, I was still laying in the bed. And she came in and she just she just felt so bad for me because I just, I think at that moment in time, I think if I could have told her, you know, turn the switch off on me, I think I would have. That's, yeah. that's how depressed I was at this moment. And I, I kept saying, where's my family? Where's my family? Because I did not understand what a pandemic was. I'm 58, at the time I was 56. Didn't know what a pandemic was. I never lived through one—not my fifty-six years of life. What was a pandemic? Did not understand that. Did not understand why my family couldn't see me. You got to remember, you your you, your your emotions are everywhere. Of course, you're under you're under a lot of drugs to keep you you you're medicated to keep you from the severity of your pains, so your mind's not working, and I just couldn't understand where is my family? Did they desert me? Like you know, or did they die from this? Did I survive and they died? I don't know. I never spoke to anybody. She calls my wife and she just says, is there any way you can send a picture? A picture of you guys. He's just depressed. And um, she sent a picture of me, Lori, Michelle, and our little dog. We have a little dog, sitting. And she sent that picture. And let me tell you something, guys. That was motivation to get up and out of that bed like you would not believe. <laughs> I had them put that picture at the end of the bed on the wall. I stared at that every single day. I took it to the nursing home because they eventually had to transfer me to a nursing home because they were so overran right. with COVID patients. They had, they had to put you somewhere. That, so
0: that photograph is what kept you going, you're saying? Oh, my
2: God, yes. So, so, God. Let, me
0: inter- so let me interrupt you there because you talk about the isolation and the separation of your family, the people who loved you most at the most difficult time of your life. And I'm wondering um, if you've ever thought about the fact, if you had not been isolated from your family, if they had been able to visit you, uh, do you think that perhaps ironically, your, your health condition might have been improved? If a picture like that made that much of a difference, would their presence,
2: do you think, have
0: made your recovery?
2: You, good question. Good question. And I, you're probably right. It would have helped because you get that loved one to hold your hand. You get that loved one to tell you they love you. You get that sense of feeling when you hold somebody's hand that cares about you. But in the same sense, would I have done that and jeopardized their health to be there? you got to remember that sure. it would have been an issue then. Like, I but, but,
0: but, that's, but that's the question. And, and, and doctor, let me go to you uh, for this. You know, hindsight, of course, is always twenty twenty. 20 um, and, and Kevin is talking about a moment of the pandemic where knowledge of the virus was scant, you know, the, the very beginning of it. But in hindsight, um, do you think that the medical community perhaps might have made a mistake by isolating these patients? If a photograph made that much of a difference in Kevin's life to give him the will to keep going, imagine what the the presence of of a real family might have done, not only for his survival, but perhaps for the survival of the 10th of thousands who who didn't make it.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. And I, I think that the mental health toll of COVID and long COVID can't be underestimated. It's affected every one of us across this country. It doesn't matter if you're a child, a parent, a healthcare giver, an educator, it's affected every single human being. I do think that in the beginning, in March and April, particularly in New York City, I don't think we had any option. We were that crowded. Our system was that stressed that to bring in family would be to put family at risk for a disease that we didn't know how to treat, that we didn't know how to prevent. Um, And I think that like Kevin is saying that many people would have chosen to keep their loved ones safe. Do I wish it was different? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's heartbreaking, Kevin, to hear your story and to hear the amount of isolation you suffered acutely and I'm sure the effects during that period of time in the long-term effects of that.
0: Hmm. So Kevin, uh, Diana, I promise you, I'm going to give to you in one moment, but I I just want to go back to Kevin quickly. You know, you're, you're waking up from the coma and your recuperation from the coma was, it's not the end of your COVID story. Your COVID story is still going on. How is long COVID affecting you now?
2: Wow. That's a great question too. Um, It's the most amazing thing in the way I can't understand. Like I I do a lot of things where I forgetful, very forgetful. Uh, Lori will say, Kevin, I got to run out. We have a disabled daughter. So our daughter's in a wheelchair. So life is tough for us to begin with without COVID happening to us. And she would say, Kevin, I left the laundry. Can you do me a favor? Can you put it, you know, the wash into the dryer, the dryer, and the whole deal. I go, okay, I got it. No problem. She leaves. She'll come back a few hours later. She'll go in the laundry room. I go, Kevin, I asked you for the littlest thing. Why couldn't you do it? Almost as if I didn't do it. You know, like, like, ha, ha I'm not going to do it. And I go, I did it. And she looks at me. She goes, Kevin, you didn't do it. I, oh. You would have bet me a million dollars that I did it. I would have took that bet and you're on. A million dollars. Pay me, you owe me. Go in the laundry room and look in there and go, my God, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't do it. But I would have swore on, my, on a stack of Bibles I did it. Um... So the memory loss, the the, the days, the days, and confused days. You wake up, you were totally dazed and confused all day. And I can't seem to get it right. Like, why? Why am I not realizing today is a Thursday? Why am I not realizing today is a July? I just can't get it in my head. Not all the time, but a lot of the times. I walk up a flight of stairs. I get to the top of the step. I'm holding on to the railing and I'm sucking wind. And I'm like... and. Don't get me wrong, guys. I am going to doctors. I am going to a heart guy. I am going to a lung guy. I am going to all these doctors. Knock on wood, they are telling me everything is good. But when I tell them I get to the top of the steps and I'm hanging on that railing and I'm breathing heavy, not my eyes. I guess when you do, maybe doctor, you could help me with these questions. Maybe you could do all these tests and they might come up like, hey, you are you look good through a test. But that test is not going to show me going up that railing, up right. that flight of steps, sucking wind. It's not going to show me sitting on the kitchen table with a cup of coffee, not knowing it's a Monday or a Tuesday, not knowing it's June or July, not knowing if, it, you know, what, you know, especially like now when Lori goes, Kevin, you have to do all these things. It's almost like, you know, she's got to tie the thing around my, you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the little, string mm-hmm. around my hand to say, yeah this is what you got
0: to do. Okay. So I want to get Diana in here. Now, Diana, you, uh, you got COVID very early on as well. I think also in March of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Um, It's a very interesting story. Yours, not only because of the effect it had on you, uh, your health, but what you decided to do about it during uh, your isolation. Um, So tell us your story.
3: Thank you so much. I had, um, in one way, a very typical case of COVID, and in other ways, completely unique. I was one of the first people in the United States to get a positive diagnosis of COVID in early March of 2020, and I was never hospitalized. I had a very average case of COVID. Um, Not only was I one of the first people to get a confirmed diagnosis, I was one of the first people to be diagnosed and go public with my story. People were either you ended up in the emergency room like Kevin, you ended up in the ICU, or you got diagnosed and you stayed silent because it really was being treated like a venereal disease at the time. And I really thought, you know, this was one wrong breath and I fought to get tested in order to be able to do proper contact tracing. That was really my motivation. I spent 18 days in isolation with a quote unquote, mild case of COVID, which includes mild encephalitis and mild COVID pneumonia, and things that are not necessarily associated with the term mild as most people would use it. Um, again, I never came close to being hospitalized, but during that time, I became obsessed with the idea of the powers that I would have as a survivor. If I was going to be one of the first people diagnosed, and presumably I was going to be the, one of the first survivors of COVID, and that would allow me to donate my plasma because I had built a solid antibody defense. The antibodies live in your plasma, which is the sort of yellowish watery part of your blood and by donating it i could save the lives of other people whose bodies had not mounted the proper antibody defenses mine had so it was not giving away my immunity but sharing it And if I could do that, imagine what a coalition of people could do. And so I started Survivor Corps, I named it after the Peace Corps actually, on March 24th, 2020, with the mission of mobilizing an army of survivors to donate their plasma, but moreover, to partner with the scientific and medical community so that we could share our blood, share our serum, share our experiences, tissue samples, whatever it is that was needed because so many of the answers to the mysteries of this novel virus lay in the bodies of survivors like me. So not only did I get tested, I turned myself into a guinea pig. Not only did I get tested on the front end in March of 2020, I got tested twice on the back end because nobody knew how long it would take to clear the virus. I received the first antibody test in America. I received the first T-cell test in America. I volunteered for every trial and study for which I qualified. But moreover, I created a group called, this group called Survivor Corps, where we now have 200,000 members and we are actively connecting them with trials, with studies, so they can be part of the ultimate solution. We found- Don, I,
0: I, and I want to talk tomorrow at, at some great length about uh, Survivor Corps. Uh, because, because it made a contribution, it evolved and it, and, it's, and it made and it continues to make a contribution, uh, perhaps a little different than you initially um, conceived. But to your health, going back to your personal health, um, you know, Kevin's uh, symptoms n- never left him. I mean, you know, they, they just kept going, they got better a little bit and they changed a little bit, but he has had symptoms since he first got it. Your situation was different. You got COVID, They went away, but they came back. Is that right?
3: They did. I had a symptomatic relapse about two months after recovering from COVID. But the point that I think is important here is I think that there are really two baskets of people. There are the people who are sick, and whether it's a relapsing remitting pattern or continuous it's persistent symptoms that you had during the acute stage. In fact, I don't even like calling it the acute stage because for many people, the acute stage happens after the infectious period. So referring just to the infectious stage, um, there are people like me who have persisting symptoms, but which I think are really resolved by time. It takes a long time for swelling of the brain Mm. to come down. It takes time for your body to recover. The people with long COVID who I see having the most difficult time are the ones who are experiencing new, novel symptoms after the infectious period. And I was very lucky that I didn't. Okay,
0: and, and, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. But, but, doctor, I, I, I want to get back to you. Both, both Kevin and Diana uh, got COVID before the vaccines were developed, uh, and bef- at the very at the very beginning of the uh, of the pandemic. Um, And some might say, well, that's why they have long COVID, but that's not the case. Everyone who I know that has long COVID got it relatively recently and all of them were vaccinated and boosted. To what degree do the vaccines help prevent long COVID?
1: Yeah, it's an excellent question. So I think essentially what you're you're asking is, what, what are the predictors that we know that make one more likely to get long COVID? Yeah. And um, uh, being infected early on with the original variant, with the Delta variant, certainly is a risk factor for long COVID. Not having a vaccine, certainly a risk factor for long COVID, but is it a risk factor because you are more likely to get COVID? or because you are more likely to get severe COVID? And those are some of the questions that we're starting to tease out. Our groups also has some early evidence that shows that African-Americans and Hispanics are at greater risk for long COVID, and that people from lower socioeconomic strata, if they get COVID, are at greater risk for long COVID. And the last risk factor that we've identified is having a lot of underlying medical conditions. What's interesting though, is that the stories, that even the two stories we've heard today, we have you know, one example of somebody who had very severe COVID and one example of somebody who had fairly mild COVID and when both of them went on to have prolonged symptoms. And we have stories of people who never knew that they were acutely infected. And go on to have long COVID.
0: Oh, yeah, and we'll talk about all that. We only have a couple of minutes. In one minute, Diana, you know your your uh, survivor core now is, is is basically you share a lot of information, as I said in the introduction. And if you could give it to me in about thirty or forty seconds, um, people share their symptoms, as I said in the introduction. There's two hundred symptoms associated with long COVID. Give us a couple of examples of the more unique symptoms that 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 you've heard about.
3: Yeah, I think too much of this focus has been on brain fog and fatigue, and while those are extremely bothersome symptoms, and I don't mean to underplay them, we are seeing neuropathy that mimics advanced diabetes. We are seeing Parkinsonian-like tremors. We are seeing feelings of inner vibrations that people describe as someone turning a cell phone on vibrate on in the middle of their chest cavity at random. These are the symptoms that are causing sleep deprivation, and these are the symptoms that are causing suicide ideation.
0: All right, so, so Kevin, I'll give you the last word in this part of the, uh, of, of the program. What is the one thing, in about a minute, what is the one thing that you'd like to people who are watching now know about COVID or long COVID that you think they may not know but should know in about 50 seconds?
2: Okay, first of all, I hope I don't have to tell you that it's real. I hope I don't have to say that. There's some people to this day still don't believe it's real. So I hope the people out there to watch this tonight don't ever say it's not real, it's real. The scar on my throat will prove to you it's real. The scars on my body, those are my tattoos. That's what I tell everybody. I don't have tattoos, I have scars all over me from all the medical things that have been done to me. Those are my tats. So first of all, it's real. Second of all, and the doctor, I hope she can give me an answer. I hope that we are on the right road to, to getting this lassoed. Because it seems like it's kicking back up again.
0: Okay. The numbers
2: are going up. <laughs> Why are the numbers going up if everybody's getting vaccinated? Oh, hopefully
0: we'll get into that tomorrow because our time is up right now. Sorry to interrupt you, Kevin, but thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you. We'll see you you all tomorrow. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for tuning into Metro Focus. Take our award winning program wherever you go with Metro Focus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play Metro Focus, the podcast. Also available at WLIW.org radio and on the NPR One app.